This is the Culture Change Paradoxes webinar series from One Fish, Two Fish, and I'm Carrie Beddingfield. In this series, we explore some of the tensions and paradoxes experienced by organisations trying to move their culture in some way. Culture is complex and it doesn't respond to modern management techniques, which are often based on command and control um, and the idea that uh, cause and effect is predictable. So what does it respond to? Today, we are looking at our own relationship with the change that we're working on for our organisation. With me is Andrew Wood, or Woody. Hi, Woody. Hi, Carrie. Hi, hi, hi. So Woody's interested in meaningful change and helping people to achieve that in organisations. And he works with um, companies as part of the extended One Fish, Two Fish team and his own practice, H-Cubed. Now, technically, Woody is a coach, and what I value most about Woody is his incredibly creative, practical work with organisations. So you can put Woody in front of any person or team in any complex, tricky situation in a business, and I defy anybody not to have a thought-provoking, enriching experience where they feel hopeful about the future and their own role in it. So Woody, we are so delighted that you are here. And firstly, can you tell us what is meaningful change? Oh, um, thanks, Carrie. That's a, that's a very generous introduction. Um, what is meaningful change? Uh, well, so change that means something to the, the recipient or the person who is changing. Um, I, I think the meaning in the change comes from uh, whether people feel it or not. Uh, and it's changed that people that alters the way fundamentally people think about themselves and their work and the context that they work in and how those things relate together. So, so it's change that unlocks or increases or helps people to grow or or develop uh, the way they think about themselves and, and what they do. So when organisations come to you and say, uh, we need some help with our change agenda um, and the we need to shift from A to B, that's a kind of classic line that I think you and I <laughs> receive quite a lot. Um, how would you figure out whether something was meaningful change or not? And does it matter? Uh, yes, a great, a great question. So, so there's that really pragmatic you know, we need to go from here to here. We we don't have uh, organisational values and we need them, or our our employee engagement is not where it we'd like it to be, or um, we need to create a behaviour, feedback behaviour in our leadership team. That's that's great and that's good, and those are interesting projects and that's good work. I think underneath that, as we work with the organization and the people what's really exciting is you know instilling behavior, uh, feedback as a behavior what what can people learn about themselves and their organization through the process of creating feedback as a behavior so as i come out of that not only have i picked up feedback as a behavior hopefully but also i have a better understanding of who i am who my organization is, how we work, what we could be doing, how we tend to approach things like 
like that. So there's a there's a kind of a parallel process happening at the same time. We're working with the organisation and not on the organisation because that feels underhand and and uh, sneaky. But you know the organisation and the people involved in it are changing in a way that's bigger than just you know we're creating you know, a feedback as a behaviour or it, we're we're making some some videos for people to share that what do they learn about themselves and how can they use that as we do that so i'm already getting a window into how you see change and let me see if i've got this right so it sounds like um rather than seeing change as something where we just need our people to behave differently act differently and oh if we can just get them over this hump and kind of lubricate that hump a little bit so that they can slide over it as, as painlessly as possible and then we can go back to normal you're saying the opportunity is is for everybody in the organization to get the great gift of being able to um uh, learn more about themselves develop themselves um go up a level themselves as Mm. part of this change change experience should they choose to see it that way Mm. yeah I, i i think so i think i mean that's what's exciting that's what I find exciting for me at, at a deeper level. So we can go in and we can do this, you know, slightly transactional thing. And it's why it, we, I resist um, as much as possible the idea of just coming in and delivering workshops for people and then, and then clearing off again um, at the end. Because there's, there's a lot more that can be done there. Um, so, I mean, if you look so, Bill Torbert in his in his vertical development stuff talks about triple triple loop learning. Right, so double loop is 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 fine. We do some learning or some change. Um, we think about you know what we learned through the process of change is the second loop. So you know as we embed feedback as a behaviour, what do we find out about the system or us as an organisation? And then you've got this other loop around the top, which is what did I learn about me? as part of that system. So, you know, my, what my subjectivity, my objectivity, how I see things, how I relate to people in the system. Uh, And that, that third loop is what gets my juices flowing personally, because I think that's where, where fundamental shifts in the way people see themselves, their work, their relationships, their careers, their, their identity actually can move forwards. And how does that change how you approach the work you do with organisations? Mm. Um, so, so there's uh, there's always a coaching element to it, even if we've got something quite transactional. There, there's uh, there are some conversations that happen around the work, you know, grabbing people and sitting down and reflecting with them on what's going on. I think an opportunity to call out some of the dynamics. Um, so let's set an example. So, so we're working with a, a, a big financial organization at the moment to do some, um, uh, what was positioned as quite comsy uh, type work. Um, it's good, it's interesting. There's a nice ambition to it. Uh, we've got quite embedded in it. And um, just through the process I, of, you know, we've sat in a in a workshop, um, the the latest of many, uh, and the energy was just very different. Like people were quite grumpy, and uh, there was a lot of 
shooting down people's ideas and talking over each other and then there was people drifting off into phones and things and it just felt very different as an experience to the meetings that we had had previously um and so ordinary ordinary what's tempting is to go oh bad day i'll come back you know we'll come back next week or or to absorb some of that myself and go oh bad workshop um failing the client and, and assume some of that um, uh, responsibility, uh, but what we did in the instead was to just to, to take some people out afterwards and just let's have a coffee and just say, felt very different to me today. Did you notice it? And what do you think might be going on? And quite quickly, you can unpick, you know, what's going on in the system. You know, there's a there are some. Um, Structural changes coming up. Uh, the, uh, there are some concerns about the financial performance. There was some difficult news coming down the pipeline. Somebody had not had a boss for six months and was starting to feel that the squeeze there and was tired of being kicked about. You know, and you unpick a whole load of things in the system, and then and then you can start to to play with that uh, and help people to explore that a bit more and make sense of it uh, as well. And it has a knock-on effect back into the work that you're doing because you can help people to, well, whatever feels right, to separate how how they're feeling and what else is going on from the work. And the next time you have a workshop, you can acknowledge it and say, last time we were a bit cranky and I understand that. And so what kind of a workshop do we want to have today? Are we in a better mood? What are we adjusting to? All of those things. So I'm just going to um, dive into to a couple of things there. One is... How do you make the call about whether to address that there and then in the group with everybody there mm. or whether to talk to people individually about it? Mm. Uh, so, yeah, it's a great question. Let me think about that. So that instance, we were, we were on a quick workshop. Um, so it was less than an hour and we had a, 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 an agenda and it was okay. We could kept, keep moving on it. Um, so consciously or subconsciously I made a decision just we get our heads down and we get things signed off and and that's okay it wasn't a particularly it wasn't something that needed you know expansion and creativity particularly it was more of a look can we get some agreement on some on some stuff um so I think it was okay in that in that instance I, I have stopped and called things out um in inflow and it's been really helpful so uh, similar experience with the leadership team in another company everyone was shouting at each other and talking over the top and i literally you know at that point you can bang your fist on the table and tell everyone to shut up and then hold up you know what what you're seeing like i'm seeing people crossing off other people's words on the whiteboard uh in front of them and everyone's talking at the same time and i'm i'm feeling an anxiety, a tension, a nervousness, and, a, and a, an, an anger that's coming up in me. What do you think that might be? Is that should I own that? Can, can you own some of that? What's causing it? And, and so you, it's, it can be really helpful to you know flag it in the moment. I think so. I think it's a I think it's a contextual decision about what's at, what's at stake in this meeting. Okay, well, let's let's get straight to the. <laughs> that was the easy question. Here's the hard question. So you describe yourself there as using your own um, 
feelings and internal experience as a kind of tuning fork for what mm. else might be going. So, so a, a classic facilitation technique that we've all been annoyed by in the past is people say, how are you all feeling? And actually you're not asking people how, you, how they're feeling. You're saying, this is how I'm feeling. Is there anything useful here? So can you yeah. talk a bit more about that? Yeah. I, 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 I'm really, I'm genuinely really glad you asked that question. I think it's, I think it is fundamental. Um, and, and, you know, thinking about what we said we would talk about on this webinar, I think that cuts to the heart of it, is, you know, we are important parts of any system uh, as change agents and as people trying to drive change and, and owning responsibility for that. We are, we are absolutely critical parts of that system. We can't pretend, we can pretend, but we can't be separate to it. So we have, we have to be in it. You know, it's that's it. You know, Schrodinger's change agent, whatever. Um, but you know, what I'm feeling in that system is useful in some way, or it could, or, it, or, it, or we could look at it and reject it. But to 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 say that just because it's my feeling or my need or my observation or you know my gestalt, um, to say that it's not relevant because I'm not the client. Uh, is potentially missing really, really important data. Um, so, you know, yeah, if I walk into a room and I see this this meeting feels different to the meetings we normally have, or, you know, I'm hearing a lot of, you know, military combative language today about smashing targets and, you know, steamrolling uh, things. If that's not, if that's different and I'm noticing it, then... Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to call it out. I, I think what you need to do, or, or what's helpful there, though, is just not to become too attached to it. So if people go, no, it's, there's nothing there, then then to be able to step away from it, go, okay, that, that, that's on me. If you're satisfied that that, that that's true, um, and also to present it as something that you are noticing. Not as, not necessarily as, as a fact, uh, or, or as, you know, your feelings are not facts. And, and I read something interesting the other day that the, the, um, the brain literally cannot distinguish between opinion and, and fact. Like the same bit of your brain lights up when it recalls a, an opinion and a fact. And we have to be really careful about distinguishing the two. Like, I see you crossing other people's words off on a whiteboard is a fact. Um, Phil, you are um, crushing Janet is not a fact, right? And so, so I think it's important to give, give that observation and, and back to the group uh, and ask them if they can make some sense of it and help them to do that. And, and then it's really powerful. So self as, a, as an instrument is really, really useful in change work. So then, so then that strikes me as making yourself making yourself relatively vulnerable. Mm. Arguably, you're vulnerable if you separate yourself out from the system, if you try and do it that way, and you're, sep- you're vulnerable if you expose yourself as part of the system mm. too. You used the word absorbing earlier. Mm. And it's, <clears throat> I guess drawing on some of my own experiences, it's easy to feel like the things that you are trying to do to create new conditions in which people can choose to move to a different way of working should they want mm. to, that people's um, 
people's positive or negative experiences of those are become a very quickly a proxy for their positive or negative experiences of you. Mm-hmm. And the feeling is that you are being judged yeah. rather than, and, and that the judgment is somehow, or the, or the frustration that they feel is being um, relocated in you, <laughs> the discomfort is being relocated in you. Mm-hmm. So how do you stay part of the system and stay involved and tuned in and using your human sensing machine without absorbing being completely impermeable and absorbing completely permeable and kind of absorbing everything everybody else's experiences as well yeah 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 I, I, that's great and um, so i think um it's a lifetime's work for all of us to be clear about what we are subject to and what and and remaining object to other things so you know what am i thinking clearly about and and what is going on underneath there's this lovely visual um uh, which has all of the identified cognitive biases on one page right and and i don't know how many there are but the print is too small to read but there are so many different ways we can be um affected by um the the truth or what is really going on in ways that we just don't understand and so it's a lifetime's work to understand how we respond to things as they're happening um i think uh the we all feel really attached uh, to our work I i hope we do as change agents i think we have to we have to feel passionate about what we're trying to do with other people and, and the change we're trying to see. And, and if we don't feel passionate about that, it's, I, I feel like it's unlikely change is going to happen because it's going to be a bit messy and a bit tricky and quite challenging. And if it's messy, tricky, challenging, and we're not attached to it, then we're going to walk away from it. Um, so we do have to care about it. And that creates a, a bit of a, a bear trap for us uh, because as people start to look at things and, and, challenge it then it's very easy for us to feel like they're challenging our passion or our work or you know even if we if it's really close to us something that feels close to an identity or or something you know certainly something that's really important to us um I, i think it's it's really helpful to be to reflect on that and and to remind ourselves that a uh we are not we are more than our work um, B, you know, the whole point of change is that we're trying to help people to see things in a different way. And if they already saw things like this, and if it was easy, then um, you know we'd be we'd be doing this by spreadsheet um, and and um, uh, Google Form instead of instead of by human interaction. Um, <clears throat> and see, I think I think we've got to look after ourselves a bit as well, um, you know, and build resilience and. Um, do all of the things that 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 keep us balanced and and mindful, like making sure we've got enough uh, opportunity to play and explore and connect to people and and to make sense of things and you know all and to to yeah all of those things together. So it, it, it's a it's a there's a lot that needs to happen for us to be at our best to help people to change because yeah stuff is going to come at us and if we don't if we don't do some processing around that it's going to it's going to overload us and you do that in a in a quite a specific structured way don't you i do i do lots of things increasingly 
Um, so uh, the first thing to really simply is when somebody says something nice to me on email, um, I, 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 make a, I make a note of it. So I have a, I have a journal of, uh, like a results journal where things that, you know, where we've made progress and people have changed um, as a result of work that we've done together. It's all in one place. Um, I also do a five-minute journal. So, you know, um, when I can, at the end of the day, I just make sense of things. Um, I, I think, you know, counting to 10 is a good thing. Those, well, these are all really simple, basic basic things um and then the bigger stuff which is which is finding someone and going talking talking about it and so you know coaching uh is is a good way to do it but also a coffee and a and a, and a check-in and you know you and i quite often have these little catch-ups where it's like help me make sense of this it doesn't have to be a, a professional sense maker to do it with it can just be a, a pal with, with, uh, did I capture the thing that you were referring to there? Carol? Yeah, so, so I think I learnt the um, I learnt the concept of supervision for change agents mm. from from you, and that's something that we've now started to use more consistently in One Fish Two Fish. And I loved this idea that, and, and I know when I wrote this in the spiel for this webinar, you took it out when I said it's a bit like that being a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> I'll ask you about that in a moment. That yeah. that you are if you are if you are a um a therapist it is abundantly clear that you are helping people in very difficult situations process very difficult things and to avoid to allow mm. you to remain the best therapist you can be and to avoid transference you spend you are um uh, professionally obliged to spend yeah. time with another professional who will help you to to do that and i know your process isn't quite as necessarily as um as strict as that but the practice of supervision is one i kind of lapped up very quickly as like that's just yeah. such an obvious thing to do yeah. to better for, for yourself and for your clients yeah yeah can you, can you share any more about your how how you've done that and what your experience has been yeah so i was lucky and i i, I joined a supervision group that was running with uh with some colleagues but it, it's hugely it's hugely beneficial and, and you know there are uh five of us and we get into a room with a a supervisor uh, and as a group moderated by our supervisor we just bring anything that we're struggling with um or or or, or anything that's interesting to us that we haven't fully managed to wrap our heads around and, i mean sometimes it can be unblocking on on a client issue so i I don't know what to do about this. I'm, I'm a bit stuck. I've got an idea that I'd like to test with some, some, uh, uh, some friends or some, ex, some, some uh, non-judgmental experts. And sometimes you get into mummy and daddy issues. I mean, you know, because this stuff triggers, triggers us and uh, in ways that we can't always predict. Um, and we can have big reactions to things that, are, that, that sometimes it's helpful to get some support in, making sense of um yeah so so it's a it's a hugely helpful uh, dynamic to go and talk through stuff and help other people make sense of it with uh, with us and are there any um examples you can share with us about situations you've been in with a client where you have felt that kind of boundary between you know, the, the between you and 
your feelings and well-being and the client's mm. journey has become frictiony, uncomfortable, which has really challenged you as a as a change agent. Yeah, and yeah. So the my my um, and uh, so I took the word therapy out of the uh, description for this webinar partly because I uh, a thing that I have to watch for myself is that my coaching doesn't and, and my practice doesn't stray into. Uh, a, a relationship which is better served as a biomedically trained therapist. Mm-hmm. And I've had coaching. I've had coaching clients in the past where I I have said, look, I think probably we've we've gone as far as we can in a coaching relationship, and you might want to think about getting a different kind of uh, support. Um, uh, so it's an edge for me, and I, and that's why I kind of pushed pushed away from that word because. I, in another life, I'd quite like to have been a psychotherapist, I think. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, it, it's, a, it's an edge. Um, I, I get close to my clients all the time. I've got one at the moment. We've been doing some change work in a really big organisation. Uh, the leader of that part of the business is uh, an old colleague and friend. Um, I like him very much. Uh, he's very successful, and I... Uh, like that he wants to work with me because uh, I feel proud of that it's you know validating and self-affirming um, and I noticed that occasionally um, how he is feeling about things and how he is responding and how he is behaving uh, I take on more responsibility for that than I should um, <clears throat> and I start uh, it, it affects my behavior in all kinds of interesting ways I start to worry about about him and about how he's going to react and uh, predicting you know big angry conversations between us and and it becomes unhelpful um and and so being being aware of that and observing that is really really important um it, it, it because yeah it's the sort of stuff that can keep you awake at night and just reminding yourself of you know barriers um, or boundaries, sorry, I should say, not barriers. Um, but, you know, who, what, is my, um, what is my duty of care to this person? How can I position myself relative to him in a way that lets me be supportive of him and challenging as well? If I get too close to him, then we start colluding, and all I can really do is um, tell him that he's doing a great job and agree with him. And, and So I have to hold myself at a bit of a distance um, to, to him. And, and so finding ways to do that became a priority. Um, and we still have a good relationship. And actually there was a nice moment where I wrote to him and said, look, I'd, really, I'd like to be bold with you. Can I be bold with you? And he said, um, it is always a pleasure to experience you being bold. Um, and I'd taken that as permission and I've abused that email repeatedly since then. <laughs> I'm going to be bold with you again. Uh, and he's, he's always invited it actually. So it, it, it was a nice, a nice way to check a, uh, um, a, a bias that I had going into that, which is, you know, I can't challenge this person. He doesn't want me to challenge you to collude. And actually when you, when you throw it out there openly and ask for a bit of, you know, flag it up to say, here it comes. He's like, yeah, bring it. So so there's an interesting technique there, I think, which is sort of flying a flying a flag by saying permission to dot dot dot. Mm -hmm. Um, It's difficult for people to say 
not granted (laughs) (laughs) no please keep lying to me um and also um uh naming it so in in, if we were examining um uh, family relationships or friendship dynamics we know that naming an element of the dynamic lightly um helps us between us navigate around it Mm. um, and seeking permission to do that two very powerful powerful techniques yeah Yeah. there's one there's one example of that which which i think doesn't work just uh, i'm just making me smile which is would you like some feedback right (laughs) (laughs) why doesn't that work here i I come with my big stick to bash about I, i think it's um I, th- I think the sentiment is absolutely right, but the the, the, sen- the sentence has been uh, those that combination of words has been yes. used. And what what comes after that is uh, okay. I've offered you feedback. What I'm actually going to give you is three ways that I think your work is not good enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's been it's been um, kind of misappropriated, a bit yeah. like um, uh, uh, with all due to respect, <laughs> yeah, which, means, which means definitely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have no respect. No respect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are not due any respect. So yeah. there you go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, can I can I take us in a slightly different direction? Which mm. is when when we imagine being uh, what what it might be like to be a change agent. We imagine how something might go. I think most people who are listening to this will absolutely understand and acknowledge that there's a massive journey for the um, uh, people who are experiencing the change for whom we're uh, providing support Mm -hmm. and for the person ourselves, the person providing support. Mm -hmm. But the um, the implication is, the assumption is that there is a nice story arc. So we go in with high hopes and then there are some challenging times along the way, but we get through it. And at the end, there's a great result because that's how all, that's what all the TEDx talks tell us. Mm -hmm. Um, People talk about their kind of, how they you know thrived and survived adversity to go on to thrive it's how the case studies are written um it's it's the story arc we understand and actually the re- my experience is uh, often you have to you for whatever reason you have to leave a group of people or an organization to continue their journey at a much more tricky phase of the curve um without the nice satisfying close yeah. And maybe a couple of years later, you hear that they went on to successfully um, complete that curve. And sometimes you get some great kind of much greater credit for your role in that, your part than you would have realized. But sometimes you don't. Yeah. And that's pretty challenging. So can you talk to us about that? Yeah. I, I, oh, yeah. It cuts to the heart of, of a lot of things, doesn't it? So, so I think I mean, we'll go right back to the beginning of the conversation and talk about meaningful change and this idea that um you know I, I was watching the the earlier webinar you did with Richard and you know do people resist change um they resist being changed uh, is is the distinction so people don't people don't hate change they hate being changed because actually the people that we are um trying to change are grown-ups and have you know identities and uh, are looking for self-actualization and, and you know have a sense of ambition and independence, and so people doing change to them, uh, yeah, that's met with resistance, and, and most of us resist that um, until we feel like we've opted in. So I think I think what's really 
there's two things that, that come up for me from your question. One is, um, you know, is our job to change people or is, is our job to help people uh, to identify and, and to take themselves through a change? Um, that feels much more sustainable and, and uh, self-sustaining to me. So if I can, if I can help you, if I can help you understand why this is happening and, and if you feel like you have chosen it and, and are driving it and are, are in some way responsible for it, then it becomes just so much more, um, self-sustaining. And that's not easy either because you don't just want to get say, people go and change. You need, you know, there's some shape around it. Um, I think the other thing to to remember is um you know yes there's a change a change journey and a curve and we all move through it and and we are all at different places on that curve and and it raises a question for me which i don't always have an answer to which is what is our responsibility to the people that are not as far along the curve as we are um is our responsibility to drag them through the curve as quickly as possible or is our responsibility to help them to make sense of it and to move through at the pace that is right for them? Um, and, and that, you know, allows them to build some of the understanding and pick up some of the bruises and scratches that we have that have helped us to, to feel that this change is the right thing to do. I, I think there's, you know, um, there's this sort of, idea that you know okay so i've been through the change curve or i'm in the fourth room of change or you know i've gone through the the transition the neutral zone of the transition uh and so now my job is to is to yank people through that zone as quickly as possible so that we can all get on with it um it might be um you know if you're putting a new expense system in then probably you know, you want to do that as quickly as possible. And yank. <laughs> and yank, yeah, exactly. Turn the, just turn the old one off and stop people paying expenses through it. Probably the best way to do it. Um, mo- most of the change I think we're talking about is more complex than that and, and requires people to opt into it. And, and, and they have to go to sit in that, you know, that transition zone, making sense of it and testing things and understanding why staying where they are is not as appealing as going to where you are is and experiencing some oohs and some ahs and, and, you know, picking up what they need to have, to, to be opting into this. So there's a bit of a, a drama triangle thing here. So mm. a, for those of you not familiar with the drama triangle with, um, uh, persecutor on uh, on one corner and um a victim on the other and then rescuer on the third and it's e- i think it's quite easy to sit in a high rescuing role as a change agent and in doing so to somebody once challenged me on on my my role in a change process and, and said in rescuing people um you know you think that's such a a positive, helpful, benign um, uh, flaw to have, but actually you are denying people, you are withholding the very experience that they most need in order to um, respond to the situation they're in and the opportunity to grow themselves as a person. And actually that's quite a, 
uh, you, you know you could flip back and say well that's a um, that's a persecutor somebody who is yeah. who is at what point does rescue a stop and persecutor start yeah. um, i found that hugely hugely challenging um mm. and once you've seen that side of yourself you can't unsee it yeah yeah i, lo- I love the drama triangle you use it. It, it, it's it's amazing and the, the the secret to me in the drama triangle is that yes that people tend to rotate around it um so so rescuers at some point flip into persecutor go i'm tired i'm tired of saving you you clearly you're just not up to this so you flip into persecutor and um all three roles on that triangle are, are victims yeah. Um, you know, if I'm a if I'm a persecutor, then I'm a victim of the the incompetence and the and the uh, reticence of other people. So I can't get my job done because other people aren't good enough. Mm. If I'm a rescuer, I'm a victim. Is I can't get the work that I really want to do done because I'm over here, you know, helping other people with their burden. And so it, it's a very very strong, self-sustaining, reinforced triangle mm. because actually being a victim is quite appealing. Oh, it's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. yeah. But they're all so three of them. Are, yeah. All of them are victims. There's a nice flip. There's a nice flip of the victor of the drama triangle, which is, um, I don't know if you know it, but it's, uh, um, if you flip victim into creator, so not what am I subject to, but what can I do about it? The flip of persecutor is challenger. So yeah. not why are you not good enough, but how can I help you see what, what, what needs to be done? Um, how do I how do I help you understand my expectations and and what you need to do to meet that? Uh, and the flip of sorry, overused word on this call probably, uh, but the flip of uh, rescue it is coach. Mm. Uh, how what can I give you to enable you to to make the changes? So they're just gentle changes in in perspective. Yeah, that flips the dynamic quite a lot. And I, I like that. I use it. On, on other people and on myself quite a bit. I'm a, I'm a rescuer. I'm a, I have a very strong um, please others driver, mm. uh, uh, which is, you know, is a real rescuer. And I guess um, that's, that's what helps you, ha- that's what gives you such an exceptionally good tuning fork and the overuse of your tuning fork, mm. potentially, or the shadow of, a, of it being a fantastic empath and, and tuning fork is um, to for that distance between you, the separation between you and the thing you're working yeah. on to become a bit, a bit blurry. Yeah. Rescuers burn out. Um, mm. and, and, uh, please others, uh, people with unchecked, please others drivers, uh, tends to, um, uh, overperform for a short period of time. Uh, and then ultimately, uh, get fired because they don't deliver on expectations. And that's interesting. Cause I think we feel, the, the reason for the drive, drive, drive is to not get fired. So, so one of the dynamics I think is particularly challenging in a change role is you've usually got two, at least two very challenging audiences. Mm-hmm. You have the people you are trying to work with who, um, who, for whom sometimes you are the lightning conductor for their, their challenging experiences. And the same person who challenged me t- to examine my own uh, rescuing also gave me a mantra which is the world is evolving at its own perfect rate mm-hmm. and when i apply that to that group of people that i find that very helpful mm. and then i get the other side which is well i've also got to please please the person who's paying me to do this <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> whether we're internal or yeah 
or external and trying to apply the same thing well they are just also evolving at their own perfect rate is also helpful but they might evolve at their own perfect rate by um, discontinuing the work that they are doing with you so how do you manage that double double interface fighting on two fronts or fight fighting that's an interesting word to introduce yeah. the page, isn't it yeah I, on those two yeah. fronts so the quick, quick thing about it, 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 somebody drew the exact same parallel um, on uh, Twitter the other day with uh, advertising creatives, which is that you have to keep the audience, you have to please the audience and affect behavioural change in them, get them to buy or click or whatever, and, and you also have to please the people who, uh, you know, the higher-ups in your agency, and you have to please the, the person paying the the bill and, and finding the space between those multiple stakeholders is a huge part of the skill of being an advertising person. If I think about you, Woody, that, that is where I think you are exceptionally good. And I wonder, can you unpick what you do to hold the space so well for the people you work, you're working with and to continue to um, give confidence to and, retain the trust of the people who are paying you to do that um that's very kind um what i try to do and what's at the heart of things and when i am successful i notice myself doing this and when i'm not successful in reflection i I notice absent is uh curiosity um and an openness to um, to listen to people and understand what's going on for them, and 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 create space to to properly get get into things with people. Um, as a, uh, so, uh, I mean, it's been, Jennifer Garvey Berger writes some great books on this stuff, um, and they really really resonate with me. But but she talks about the need in complex systems to become a sensor, um, and just you know to go in and not see people as things to be fixed but as sources of useful knowledge to add to my own so it can become quite a bit, a bit sort of selfish and a bit you know a bit um self-serving uh, but i don't think it is really you know every when you go into a conversation with somebody thinking about what does this person what could this person tell me that might be helpful to me is a brilliant is a brilliant mindset to to go in with, and we don't tend to do it. We tend to go into a meeting going, "What do I want from this person? What is my need um, from this person? How am I going to to uh, change, influence, impact, um, give this person stuff to do?" Um, and you come back; it comes back to the nonviolent communication stuff in a way a bit, but but going in and and holding a space and asking people good questions. And listening to what they're trying to say, it, it helps us. To, it helps me to collect the stuff that I need to try and find what sits in the overlap between clients, uh, paying clients, uh, and you know, person in front of me. All of the different stakeholders. So, so yeah, curiosity and, 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 and openness to listening. And that's that's the desired state that I want to operate in all the time. And I find mm. I find it difficult to when I find it difficult to get there. It's usually because some other conditions are in place. So I have a few um, 
things I now notice. So if I walk mm-hmm. around, I live um, live and work near Cambridge. If I walk around Cambridge and everyone's annoying me, <laughs> everyone's in my way. <laughs> people are going, people are uh, walking too slow, too fast. Um, I know I've I'm in scarcity, so I've got mm-hmm. my my um, processing power is used up. And if people, if people are annoying me just in the way they are walking down the street, I'm definitely not going to be able to get curious about somebody <laughs> triggering me yeah. at work. And that is my cue to say, um, I need more sleep. I need to do less mm. stuff. And as soon as the voice comes up that says, well, you can't have more sleep and you can't, everybody needs to do lots of stuff and everybody's got responsibilities and you can't let any of those things go. Then I think, no, no, I need to do less stuff mm. because I'm going to be, I'm going to be ineffective and, and we just have this one life, you know, this is my life we're talking about. So I find just some of those very simple triggers um, quite, quite helpful. Yeah, as those walking around the street moments. Yeah, lovely. I, I mean, yeah, the, the noticing it is, is, is the first challenge because we're really subject to it, right? All of those things, you know, somebody who, my, my pet, uh, pet peeve is people that, don't let others get off trains before they go on. They go, come on. It's really, it's really obvious. This is just, it's just silly and it makes me grumpy. And occasionally I might find myself, you know, getting off a, a train and people are sort of trying to get on and I might not make quite such an effort not to bump into them as I otherwise would. Um, I don't deliberately bump into people, but I might not, I might not accommodate that behavior. And then, and then, you know, on a good day, when I'm at my when I'm at my best, when I am you know balanced, centered, hard to sleep, time to reflect, and make sense of things, um, I can rise above it and bring my best self and uh, and and not worry about it. There's a there's a great um, a, a great non-word. Um, uh, there's a, a on the on the web. There's a, I think it's called the Dictionary of Unmentionable Sorrows, and it's just a guy that creates words. Um, for, for things that need to have a name but don't. Um, and he's come up with this lovely word, which is sonder, which is the the dawning realisation that other people have lives that are every bit as rich, complex and messy as your own. And I think that's, mm. that, that's something to really grab onto through, you know, when you're getting off a train or when you're trying to affect change in an organisation that, you know, it, we can't, we shouldn't boil people down to, you know, problems to be solved and that who knows what they're bringing into the room and what's at stake for them and, um, you know, what they are losing by, by, by choosing to change. Uh, again, you know, Richard sort of touched on this at the, uh, on an earlier webinar, but, you know, for change to happen, there, there is a letting go of stuff and, and who knows what that might be, power, uh, knowledge, competence, all of those things. Um, you know, who knows what's going what's going on for the person that's desperate to get on the train? Maybe they're on their way to a hospital appointment or a job interview, and they're just there's just other things going on. If we if we can notice it and choose not to be affected by it, then we have better days. Mm. So at this point, I'm going to open up the um, call to questions. So if anybody has a question that they would like to ask, Woody, or an observation, that's fine too. Um, please do unmute yourself um, and and ask it directly, or you could type it into the chat and I'll pose it for Woody. So we'll just take a moment or two if you want to compose a question in your head and please do 
and make yourself known. Hello, can you hear me? Hi, Nicola. Hi, Heather. Hi, Woody. Hi, Nicola. Hi. I think my, it's not really a question, it's an observation, I think, on what you were saying. Um, and it's a point about, or both of you, actually, around the drama triangle and the position of, rescue, you know, change agent and rescuant. And this is something, actually, I hadn't really thought about. But the more you said it, the more I smiled to myself and started thinking about the current change um, initiative that I'm working on in my organization so I'm a global L&D manager and we are just implementing a new performance management process so whilst as you said you know we know these things take time we know that change is a hard thing for people it still doesn't feel like it's moving at the pace that we would like and all of the things that I've been doing has been around actually trying to help people get it trying to move them forward um, and maybe I just need to kind of stop a little bit um, and change perspective and think about actually not rescuing them, um, but letting them maybe come to this decision themselves. So it, it was more of a reflection, really, rather than anything else. Mm. Nice. I like that. Um, yeah. I wonder, do you have any thoughts on how you might do that, Nicola? What, what might you ask them to do? Mm, good question. I think maybe part of it is just slowing down, just waiting a bit longer for the change to, it's not even to take effect. I think, you know, the, they're at the awareness raising stage now. So they, you know, the change has happened. Mm. We've implemented the new system. Um, and I think maybe we just need to be patient or I need to be patient and allow people the time and space really to get their heads around what we're doing now. Um and be there for them, I guess, if they have those questions. So it's not necessarily about rescuing them and, and, and moving them forward, but actually being there to support, coach, as you said, um, and help them on that journey. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think you're? Um, I'll, I'll save that question for another another day. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, so performance management. Oh God, I get triggered by performance management as a as a subject because. It, it's there. And the thing that always strikes me about performance management is those of us who are lucky enough to have had a good, well-run performance management conversation with a boss that cares about our performance and development um, are desperate to have more of them. Absolutely. <laughs> and those of us who are resisting those conversations, if somebody came to you and said, shall we take an hour out of our, of our busy day to talk about how we can make next year really successful for you, that to me, that feels like a gift, and and yet, the baggage that's associated with performance management means that most people look at it and go, "Here comes, here comes okay. another system. Yeah. Um, how do I get through it as quickly as possible?" I, I wonder. I, I often wonder when we see I see that sort of resistance, particularly how do we how do we help people to experience what is great about about this and and explore the value of it so that they choose to have these conversations. 
it's a one one for uh, yeah, I, yeah not, not don't, don't I'm not it's a rhetorical question I know I know you're absolutely right that's because that's exactly where I am I can't think why anybody wouldn't want to have one of these wonderful conversations but I do appreciate that not everybody has been in that fortunate position to have had a good boss to have been able to explore those things mm. Mm. so maybe there's a, th- a thread to pull out of that um which is what to a certain extent we can't always um control or or change some of the bigger machinery at work in the organization but can we reclaim some of it can we reclaim the uh the positive helpful intention of some of that just with a change in in language and help other people reclaim that too yeah does anybody else have a question for woody in our last few minutes Hi, Tom. Yes, Gary. Um, I'd love to. Um, so I've been listening, and I moved to the UK a year and a half ago, as Carrie knows, and I'm becoming bamboozled and immersed in the wor- world of corporate behavior. Mm-hmm. Words like performance management, words like L&D, words like, um, well, many of them. Um, and I'm really interested in listening, in having listened to the two of you in conversation, Woody, um, what if you could distill down in human language, what do you, what is it you provide as you, this term you've used change agent? Mm. What is present with you in the environment as opposed to what's missing if you're not there? Uh, as a, uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks. And you, in a year and a half, you've picked up the British accent very well. Um, I'm a mimic. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Carrie and I were, were tussling with this uh, just before the call because I struggle to describe exactly um, exactly what I what I am, um, and I get greedy and trying to put too much in. I, I suppose at the at the heart of it, there are uh, um, a, a few things. So so one is um, holding a space for 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 teams to um to explore and make change um one is helping organizations to define and carry out a a path to change so um let's say we want to to pick up on on an example we've noticed that people don't have don't give each other feedback in this organization Okay, how do how do you do that? It's uh, you can tell people <clears throat> um, to to give more feedback. Um, good luck with that. Um, you or you can be a bit more um, curious about about it and start to think about why do, why are people not giving feedback? What needs to happen for people to do that? And then how do we create that? Um, and I suppose at, at my best. Um, as a change agent, the work that I'm doing is helping the system to understand itself. So, you know, we will talk to people and play back some observations and, um, advance a, you know, give, give people some, uh, uh, reflections on from slightly outside the system. Uh, and then from a bit of, um, uh, expertise and experience, we can say, here are some of the ways 
that you might make that change. Here's how we talk to people. Here is how we create experiences for people to um, to start to understand and explore the change. Here's, here's how we might communicate it. Here's how we might follow it up. Here's how we might, you know, understand whether it's working or not. Um, here are some things that we can do, some things that we can give people. Uh, and it, I mean, it ranges from coaching for uh, leadership and helping them to understand their own behavior and remit to some things like uh, we did some great work with a <clears throat> really big company last year uh, or two years ago now, um, Carrie and I and, and some others where, you know, they just wanted to encourage a bit more um, connection and, and pride with the business. You know, people, people were connected in a very headway to their work, uh, but they weren't, there was a, a curious lack of passion uh, for the organisation, and we, you know, we did all. We, we went and talked to people um, and, and developed some hypotheses, and ended up doing things like putting picnic baskets in uh, in reception so that they could go and get some people and just go and talk to each other, and have a have a meeting outside, or you know, take take uh, uh, do some recognition of great work and take people out for coffees and things. So it's a bit of a, it, it's, it's not clearly defined, but it's a sort of a combination of understanding, reflection, diagnosis, coaching, facilitation, appreciation, communication. That's how I would, that's what it encompasses. It, it, it's, it's, it's identifying a way to help organizations to, to change and then, and then walking through that with them with some expertise. Does that help? Yes. Thank you. Carrie, what, what would you add to that? I think that's exactly right. I think with the <clears throat> organisations, so I think you are sufficiently separate to have some perspective. So you're not in the soup with the client, but you are sufficiently immersed and trusted that you know what's going on and you're tuning for, that's why your tuning fork is so great because it, is it allows you to kind of feel your way into conversations with groups and help them without um, them feeling kind of smashed across by a process or misunderstood or a collaborator, a kind of colluder with them. Mm. And then I think you are a you're a prototyper like all of us at One Fish Two Fish. We make we run small experiments. We say, well, maybe um, we you know in in a complex system we can't. Um, make a big plan, or we could, but it would be a work of a great work of fiction, which probably we're all working on separately in our lives. Um, and instead, we can plan for experimentation, and I think that's what you do really well. Woody, is you hold people's, you, you give people the trust and confidence to do some experiments, and you prototype those experiments and help them do the first few, whilst helping them think about their experience of it all the way. Nice. Okay. I'll go with that. Thanks. Um, and now thinking of myself, if I'm, if I'm not in the soup, but near it, I'm now thinking of myself as a crouton. But that's probably not that helpful. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Or a ladle. Or a ladle. Oh, okay. Yeah. Play with that. So on that note, I'm going to say the warmest of thank yous to Woody and also to Nicola and Tom for questions and to all of you for listening. Um, our next webinar next week is... Uh, with me uh, this time. So Richard Atherton will be interviewing me and I will be talking about how do you let go of some of the control 
uh, empower teams, the thing we want, thing we all want to do, without the wheels coming off, um, without the show going off the road. So that will be again Friday, eleven o'clock. Um, please do join us then. Thank you, Woody. Many thanks. Thank you, Carrie. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>